Hello, Football Life. Welcome to another episode of Football Life Presents the Audible. Obviously, we are missing Randy Hammond today. He is spending time with his in-laws. Happy birthday to Mrs. Riley. Um, the Audible extends happy birthday wishes to everyone that has a birthday today. But when you're down a person, you need to bring in a heavy hitter. You just can't go in with a lightweight. You got to bring in the best of the best. And we brought in our absolute best heavy hitter, the guy that bats number three, Aaron Judge-esque. Henry, welcome to our rebranding. Your first time on the Football Life Presents the Audible, but not your first time on a podcast with us. How are you? I'm good, man. That's a hell of an intro. I might just log off and log back in just to hear that again. That was pretty damn good. <laughs> Thank well, you, brother. Thank you for having me. Oh, no problem, man. One of the great people I could ever ask to be on, not only call a friend, but to have on a podcast, man. You're a brother to me, and I really appreciate you jumping in here. I mean, there's no way we could talk NFC West and, and me not sit here and, and talk a whole lot of shit. <laughs> I, I mean, we do have history here. There is a lot of history. There is a video out there floating around of a certain situation of a certain playoff game that we will not mention here. That was great, man. Come on. That, that, that video will live as long as the groups live. <laughs> man, that one hurt. That one cut me deep. But you know what? I'm willing to let bygones be bygones. It took, it took a lot of effort to let that one go on my end. And I'm it man enough cool. to admit I was wrong. It, I, I think, and thank you, I think it wasn't just that you were wrong. It was the manner that I rubbed it in. <laughs> <laughs> the splicing of the videos so it was it was good it was, it's a lot of fun man and when your teams are winning and things are going well you, you have fun and, and hopefully we can get the league going and uh, you know players start doing dumb shit like hosting parties and stuff like that you know that is a fantastic segue it's like you're a pro at this and if people don't know henry is one of our hosts on dong city one of the best baseball shows podcasts out there out of all baseball podcasts, definitely suggest everyone tune in. Love doing it. Love doing it. When we started to do it, I said, who the hell wants to hear me talk about baseball? Baseball is my number one passion of sports. And Vince and I just gel, man. We gel. We, we just gel. We feed off one another. We we have good energy. And in every show, we feel more comfortable. And, and, you know, you've been on the show and a few others have been on the show. So it's, it's exciting. Love that show and love my White Sox. Going for a six-game winning streak tonight. But that's not why we're here, Henry. Can you say his name for me the way I love it? <laughs> What's that? Say his name for me the way I love it. Luis Robert. Luis Robert. Robert. You know, it's funny. I had that when he first signed with the White Sox, and it just got back to Robert because everyone calls him Robert, especially the announcers. But let's dive in. Let's get into it right now. Let's get our hands dirty. Brought up the party brought up the COVID, everything that's going on with the NFL, and there are a lot of things going on that make you concerned for a season. So going through the list, NFL COVID opt-outs. My team, the Bears, suffered a big loss in Eddie Goldman. Mm -hmm. Asthma, that definitely affects my record on the Bears. I know I had them pretty high up there. It definitely changes with that because he's a vital piece. Henry, out of all the names you have seen on this list, what do you think – who has the biggest impact? Well, I, I thought it was going to be Matthew Stafford, but he is off the list. Am I right? 
he is off the list, but very important to know that his wife is a cancer survivor. So there is no guarantee that he won't opt out. I'll stick with him then. I mean, I think you you lose him and that, that franchise is very different. And all of a sudden you're talking about a lottery pick. Yeah. And along with Stafford, who's back, also Gardner Minshew for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Not as important as Stafford, obviously. Um, there's a lot of holes to Minshew's game. Still a rookie from last year, developing. Hopefully to see him jump up. Got a A-plus personality. Yeah, that dude is fun. Oh, man, one of the greats. And I'm not sure if you saw the tweet today or the message that he put out there, but he said, COVID saw him and it ran away. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's the Gardner Minshew quote if I've ever seen one. <laughs> yeah, He's man. awesome, and I like the but he, he has fun press conferences. He's on the field. You know, the dude is a lot of fun. You know, they were able to move on and, and let him be their quarterback of the future, and it, it sucks, unfortunately. Um, that deadline, isn't it this week? Yep, they do have the deadline as Thursday, I believe, 5 p.m. Eastern. So if you do not opt out by Thursday, you are required to play the full season or not get paid. So they're not doing it like the MLB where any player can opt out at any time. Yeah, I, I can't. I don't. I, I think that that's an issue. I think there's a player that may challenge that. That may something may happen. We may get a spike, you know, during the season, similar to what's going on with with baseball. And um, I think if you get a situation where you have guys testing positive, three, four guys on the team testing positive, you know, you you may see a guy say, "Yo, this isn't worth it." Who, you know, maybe he has pre-existing conditions, or yes family with pre-existing conditions and the outside. And I can see him taking the league to court over it. There are a lot of issues I have with this personally. I think when you set that hard deadline and you don't give that little bit of vocal room, because like you said, you know, you don't want to put your family at risk. I mean, family is everything. Mm-hmm. And you like a guy like Russell Wilson just had a kid. All it's going to take is for a player to go home and give that to their family, and then all hell's going to break loose with the Players Association. But they agreed on it, the players and the owners. They finished up all their CBA issues with this. I just think that you're putting the league at too much of a risk, especially for a sport when you have all that contact in the middle. It's like the line people, the offensive line and defensive line, how you're able to go into this season with a clear conscience – is a little befuddling to me because you're exchanging spit, blood. Like, it is a cesspool for all sorts of nasty shit. I agree. You're right there. You're sweating with the guy next to you. You're yelling. Like you said, you're spitting. You know, there's droplets everywhere. I, I don't know. I, I heard rumors of uh, plexiglass face shields on the helmets, which I just can't possibly see. Um, you know, there's a lot of things going on. I know the NFL can take a take a, a note from MLB and NBA, but again, players aren't having as much contact as they do in the NFL, so I don't know what they can do differently other than cancel the season, which would be disastrous. Yeah, I've said it a lot of times already. There is no way that the owners will cancel this NFL season, not with the money on the table. We've talked about bubble cities. It's not possible. You have too many guys and too many free agents. This sport's naturally, I mean, people get hurt. 
there's, I believe, with just 54 players, you're looking at over 1,500 players in the league that just play on an active roster. Then you talk about the hundreds and hundreds of free agents. Where are you going to put those guys? You know, they're just not going to go sit in a city and not get paid. So the logistics of a bubble are not realistic for the NFL. The only place I think of a bubble situation would be maybe Texas. But, you know, that's probably the only state with enough fields, but is it enough? Is it close enough in proximity to create a bubble? (laughs) The bubble would have to be the entire state of Texas. (laughs) Yeah. And like we saw with the guy throwing the house party, the rookie with the house party in Beverly Hills, you just, there's so many things that could go wrong. We saw Lou Williams go to magic city in the NBA. You know, he had to get his wings and his legs. So. And his side (laughs) and his breast. (laughs) I'm not a man to, say a man can't have his guilty pleasures but you know what during this issue and you have an obligation to your teammates probably not the best idea i mean i i will say i've heard magic city has some kick-ass wings i mean i saw that box of food and i'm not gonna lie i i I go to atlanta i'm gonna be stopping by and getting me some wings absolutely but with all that being said the tv money the players want to get paid. There's too many guys on those contracts that are not that don't have that generational wealth that have those bills to pay. They're going to play. And I've talked to people offline about it. I, I do think even if someone dies because of this in the NFL, they are not stopping this season at all. It's kind of like with Breaking Bad and Heisenberg says this train stops for nothing. It's the NFL. If it- there's any league that's all about money, it's the NFL. They will sell their soul to the devil for a few dollars. Absolutely. And I'm all for informed consent. The players have signed. They agree to this. They have let players opt out. I'll be sitting there watching. I mean, let's be realistic. Do they have any choice? The players union in the NFL is so weak. They have no leverage. You know, they are the sport where you need to make as much money as humanly possible in the shortest amount of time frame, of course the players are going to, you know, Odell Beckham came out and said something crazy and people lost their shit, but he's right. Like players look at them. They're, they're just, you know, they're like slaves and they're like, you know, just meat. They're just like, okay, you're not human. You're next. Who's, who's up, you know, who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? You're out. Who's playing. They just look at them like stocks, you know, and they're, they're, they're they're there to make money. Yeah. I think, Beckham's OBJ's statement and if everyone read the whole quote I think it puts in a proper context I think he missed the ability to reach a wider audience with his bigger points I mean the the locker room's not big enough for social distancing and that was one of his points and he's right you know I've been in football locker rooms you're not going to be six feet apart when you have I imagine the rosters are going to have to be close to 80 some people with having to be you know, almost like a taxi squad. And those guys have to be on your team. So you're going to have all these players. You're going to have a coaching staff consisting of probably 12 to 15 coaches at the very minimum in this locker room. It's just too much of a confined space. But with that being said, there's parts to OBJ. If I felt you're going to come out and make that statement, you need to opt out. You just can't make that statement and say, okay, I'm in, but this is how I feel. You can feel that way, but the words fall flat. I get it. I, I think you're right. It may, it's, it's a bigger impact if he says that while opting out. 
But I also think he, it gets kind of thrown to the side because it's Odell Beckham and he has a history of histrionics and he's not the most eloquent speaker and he doesn't necessarily get his point across. But if you look at the crooks of it, like you said, if you read the article and you read the quotes, he's not wrong. But, but you know, what jumps out of the headlines is Odell Beckham says this and everyone goes into, you know, hysteria. Yeah, yeah, definitely kind of one of those clickbait, but no one's clicking on it stories. But I, I do agree with you. It, it carries more weight if he says that while he's, you know, opting out himself. Yeah. Well, speaking of elegant talkers, one of your favorite quarterbacks talked this past week about what happened in the NFL draft, and that is your guy, Aaron Rodgers. So for those who don't know – a-Rod did come out and say that when you draft a rookie quarterback, the expectation of the team is for that rookie to play. And Aaron Rodgers, I thought, very gracefully and intelligently spoke on, you know what, my time is up here, essentially. He said that, you know, they drafted him, they wanted him, and then his head coach, Matt LaFleur, comes out and says, no, Aaron Rodgers is going to be here. I see him here for a long time. Henry, who are we calling bullshit on? Matt LaFleur, bullshit. Uh, I give Aaron Rodgers a lot of shit more for fan reasons than Aaron Rodgers himself. But Matt LaFleur is full of shit here. Come on. It, you draft a rookie quarterback who's highly thought of and highly, highly touted. He's the, and, and look, I don't blame the Packers necessarily. I really don't. You know, Aaron Rodgers is getting old. Who knows? Maybe they trade him if they like this guy. Remember when was it? Who was it? Matt Flynn was with the Seahawks. Was it Matt Flynn when Russ got drafted? Yep. No one thought that Russ would come in and just basically take a, a stranglehold on that job, and that's what he did. He he outplayed Matt Flynn left and right, and I think they just outright released him instead of kept him on the team, if I'm not mistaken. And Russ took that job, and you know if if this kid is as good as they think he's going to be, and if they really feel like they have something here. You never know what's going to happen. And they felt they were in a position to get the quarterback of the future, which they were in that position when Aaron Rodgers was in the draft, where my Niners just completely passed them over for Alex Smith. Won't let that, I won't forget that one. But, um, you know, he's in the same position. He's on the opposite end of the position he was when he first started his career. You know, he's taken over for a legend. You know, he gets drafted by the team who has him. They didn't get the offensive weapons. And, the writing is on the wall. It's what Green Bay does. Is what Green Bay has always done. They're, they're cutthroat, and they said, here's your replacement. You either play with him or you don't. I thought it was a very honest assessment from the Packers when they drafted Jordan Love. I mean, I'm very high on Jordan Love. I think he has all the ability in the world. But they took a look at the roster, and I know Packer fans may flip out about this, but this roster is not on the incline. It, it's on the decline. They are coming down. If anybody watched – the two games against one of the better rosters, I think, in the NFL, and that's the 49ers. The 49ers didn't even need to throw. They just took the football and shoved it right down their throat. And to a man, that's embarrassing. The 49ers manned up and just kicked the, or kicked the Packers right in the balls and dared them to stop them, and they couldn't do it. So they saw that, and it was an honest assessment. Aaron Rodgers, for as great as he is and as great as he was, this team – needs to start looking at itself and rebuilding that roster and figuring out what direction they need to go. They have to get better offensively on the offensive line, wide receiver, and you just can't do that all in one draft. So I thought the Packers did themselves a service. If you can keep Rodgers on the field this year and possibly keep him on the field next year, 
you get two years for Love to really develop his mechanics and really learn. And that's what you're hoping for, I think, best case scenario. But to me, I, I think LaFleur is full of shit. I would have given him more respect if he came out and said, Jordan Love was a guy that we loved and we do envision him as our future quarterback. I agree. And, and I think a two-year time frame is not a lot to ask for. Rodgers got three. A lot of that was uh, probably out of respect for Brett Favre at the time. But, you know, it's the right thing to do. I think if Aaron Rodgers played it smart, he, he'd stay there. He, you know, he's, he's finally making a lot of money. At one point, the joke that I always had was Alex Smith made more money than Aaron Rodgers in his career. Um, I think that's no longer the case or may still be pretty close. But, you know, he's made a pretty penny in the league. He has ascended to legend status, regardless of my personal feelings. Um, and you know what? Be the professional, finish out your contract, and groom the next guy in. Yeah, and I think the thing to take away from this is I think Rodgers is adult enough to help Jordan Love where he can. I don't think he's going to go out of his way to help bring him along, but I think Rodgers knows how Favre treated him. I mean, Favre was pretty much an asshat to Rodgers when he was a rookie and even his second year. I think Rodgers is a different type of cat, but he's also one of those people where I don't think Rodgers is a uniter. I think he's more of those guys, I'm going to do my thing. I, I'll, I'll make these plays. I'll carry the team on my back, but I'm not, I'm not doing the rah-rah stuff. I'm not galvanizing this team. I ain't hanging out with these guys after the game. My personal life is my personal life. My work life is my work life. And I think that hurts the team a little bit, but this roster just isn't good enough to compete anyway. So I, I think the Packers need to have an honest discussion here because you look at Jordan Love and you see a very similar skill set. He's more mobile than Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is more mobile than he gets credit for, I will say that. But you see a very similar skill set and a very similar style of play with Jordan Love. So if there was anyone that he should learn from and can learn from, it would be Aaron Rodgers. Completely agree. Completely agree. And to close this out, how many years do you give Rodgers? If you had to make a prediction, when is Jordan Love starting for the Green Bay Packers and when is Aaron Rodgers leaving? I think Rodgers as is maybe two, three. I'd hate to see him in another uniform. I'm, you know, I'm a little old school when it comes to guys finishing their career where they started. Um, I would like to see that. I also know there's a business side of it, and you have the side where some athletes just can't, you know, they don't let go when it's time to let go. So maybe two in Green Bay and maybe one year doing something, you know, with a franchise that needs to sell some tickets. Yeah, I always imagined, if, if I had to take a guess here, my best guess is Roger plays one more year. And I thought one of the ideal landing spots was your 49ers. And we'll get into that later. I think when we break down the 49ers, we'll have an idea of where Jimmy Garoppolo ranks among some of these quarterbacks in the NFL. But speaking of the 49ers, they made a little bit of news that um, last week, Henry, with the John Lynch extension. Give me the state of John Lynch's job performance as a 49er executive. So when he first came in, he had a couple rough drafts but he made it up with a lot of good trades a lot of good signings um you know the Reuben Foster pick was one that I was very high on and I think he's in a different category all to himself with all the stuff he had to deal with I'm glad to see him trying to come back with with the Washington football team <laughs> um I I like I like John Lynch I think he landed his head coach 
I think he had landed the right head coach. Um, he, they have a scheme. They have a system in place. We've drafted wonderfully. We've traded picks. We've garnered picks. We've saved a ton of money. We were in, in salary cap hell when he took over this team. We had shitty uh, salary cap issues. We had shitty contracts. We had the whole Colin Kaepernick mess that, you know, he, he inherited a storm of things and, you know, where he's at now. And I, I love where my franchise is headed. You know, even if you trade guys like Buckner, but in the grand scheme of things, it made sense. I love what he's doing, and I think it's a well-deserved extension, even with an ill-timed quote on his press conference. I don't know if you caught that. I, I missed it. Well, what was that quote? He said something like, I'm not a lifer, and it was kind of a throwaway line, and, you know, the media guys ran with it, and he had to come out today and say, look, the truth is, you know, I signed an extension. I'm saying I'm not doing this for the rest of my life, but for the rest of my contract, I'm committed to the 49ers. So he even admitted that when he said it, he knew it would be an issue. So it's just one of those things that, you know, media grabs onto. And you know, unfortunately, this will take over for something this big. So, Yeah, to me, that it sounds... Bad. It is a bad quote, though. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where your brain is not catching up to your mouth and it just comes out before your brain's like, Oh crap. I shouldn't have said that. And I think we all do that. We just don't have cameras and microphones in our face 24 seven. Oh yeah. I couldn't imagine what it's like to be an executive or a professional athlete in this day and age. I mean, it was hard. And we watched the last dance and how the media always kind of protected Jordan. I mean, it was a puff piece for Jordan, but it gave you an idea of the media attention. I mean, that was just for Jordan. Like nowadays, if you're anybody that anybody, people have cell phones that record, people have microphones in front of your face 24 seven. I mean, it is brutal. So I can understand the slippage. People are gonna slip. It's not the worst thing that anybody's ever said by far. I mean, there's a lot of other statements out there that really make you shake your damn head. But with Lynch, as an outsider. And I mean, I have some bitter feelings towards Lynch with the Trubisky trade in that 2017 draft. And Hey, look, look, we, we both whiffed on that. We look, we, we won that trade, but more importantly, both franchises missed out on Patrick Mahomes. That was his first draft. So we both missed on Pat Mahomes and so did a lot of NFL teams for the record. When it comes to Pat Mahomes, I think it's such a different type of miss because I don't think it was a perfect storm of where he went that really, I don't want to say he didn't have talent, but but going to Andy Reid is a luxury in the NFL and being able to sit behind a quarterback like Alex Smith. So I think Pat Mahomes landed in the perfect position to accentuate his talent, to take him to that other level. And Andy Reid's the right guy to do it. But Mahomes has to have that talent in order for it to work, but that was a perfect match. Went to the right place with the right coach, the right system, the right talent around him. And for as much shit as I give Alex Smith, he's an absolute pro, and you know he did his job in grooming him. Yeah, I would definitely give Alex Smith a coaching, a quarterback coaching position in a heartbeat. I think he gets it. So I think with with his back story, that tells you that 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 guy is a he's a football lifer. Going back to John Lynch's comment, Alex Smith is a football lifer. You don't go through what you've gone through and still fight to maybe get on an NFL, you know, field one day. Even if he takes one snap, one snap, 
success story. That 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 needs to be a movie. His his life can be a movie. Yeah, it's such an odd career, starting off with the 49ers, being the first overall pick. And it was really kind of interesting because they had the chance to draft the backyard kid with Aaron Rodgers, who went to Cal. And Aaron Rodgers, I, if he went to the 49ers, he wouldn't be Aaron Rodgers today. There was a lot of mechanical issues that McCarthy had to work out of Aaron Rodgers for him to get there. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers gives McCarthy enough respect in that regard because without McCarthy, I don't think Rodgers is Rodgers. So, I also think sitting behind Favre for three years helped a lot. Where yeah. he wasn't getting that with the 49ers. Alex Smith came in, it's like, here you go, good night. Absolutely. Alex Smith got thrown into a horrible situation. But what we saw with the Niners with the Harbaugh era and the Trent Balky era, and then they went with Jim Tomsula. And yeah. I really felt like it was such a bad era. And John Lynch had such a mess to clean up once he got there. And the Solomon Thomas pick was bad. And the trade up was good, you know, trading down to three. They, they get some additional picks. But if you, if you take a look at those picks, they really didn't amount to anything. But just where you see Trubisky at, it, it wasn't perfect. I remember when I saw Garoppolo with the Patriots. I, I loved Garoppolo. I thought he was going to be the next thing. And then to get Garoppolo for a second-round draft pick, I thought was a home run at the time. I thought the 49ers did an excellent job. I don't even – I don't have an issue with the Garoppolo extension. I think that was a home run. Yeah. So, I think that trade was good. Yeah. I mean, I think he inherited Buckner, which obviously he traded Buckner to the Colts, which I, I don't like the Armstead extension. I think that one – you try to keep Buckner and Bosa together as long as you can. But he got good value out of Buckner, I felt. I think that had I think that had more to do with Jimmy Ward also because they took the money they would have spent and they gave it to Armstead and Jimmy Ward to keep him on. They were able to sign two guys and some other key pieces. It just the money he that the Colts gave him, there was no way we could afford that and keep our debt. I didn't like it, but I understood it. Yeah, and I would say that is the mark of the John Lynch era. You may not agree with the moves, but they make sense. They're not out of left field. And I give him A-plus marks with this Trent Williams trade. Like, he's gaining guys for pennies on the dollar. I thought the Emmanuel Sanders loss is going to hurt this team a little bit, but I like Brandon Ayuk coming out of Arizona State. I think if you guys expect, Javon Kinlaw to replace the Forrest Buckner. I think you're going to be disappointed. They're different players, but it's still a nice piece to have. I am interested to see how they address that next level. Where do they go from here? They lost the Super Bowl. What is Lynch's next move? I don't think he makes any more moves. We we don't have a lot of money. Our roster is pretty filled out. And the one thing that no one talks about is the amount of depth that we have coming off the, the injured reserve list. I mean, we get Jalen Hurd back. People forget about Jalen Hurd. We have Jason Verrett, Tim Harris, DJ Jones. These are guys that were all hurt who are coming back. And, no, and people forget. We get to plug Jarek McKinnon, who can run routes like a wide receiver. And we can just plug him in in the backfield. We, we just signed uh, Jordan Reed. <laughs> Figure that one out. That's a, that's a hell of a pick. Kind of late deal. And speaking. Ah. 
<laughs> we, we have we cannot let you go on about the 49ers all day without having some direct competition with the Arizona Cardinals. A lot of people are high on them. Everyone, join me in welcoming Corey Decker, our resident Arizona Cardinals fan, and he does write a blog with the Cardinals. If you don't mind plugging that, Corey, I have no idea what it's called right now. Oh, thanks. It's uh, I'm actually kind of behind on it. It's uh, for WBLZ Media. It's something that I actually need to go back to writing more for. So, yeah. And putting it in the football group. Yes, I would enjoy your written work. Yeah, no, I gotta, I gotta get back to writing. It's COVID's, you know, all that. I'm just honored to be on this episode of Miami Vice, looking at Henry's background. This is, <laughs> this is cool. Yeah, you know what's funny, Corey? We live in Arizona. We should be having like that tropical background with the pool. And here is Henry in New Jersey, just after a hurricane. The sun yeah, is literally. out. <laughs> I mean, what is going on here? <laughs> I totally blame you guys. You need to get good Wi-Fi and take your shit to the backyard, man. <laughs> no, man, it's too hot out right now. It's no, like 114. Ooh, yeah, good. it's... Yeah. All right. So now it's time for the meat and potatoes. We're going to trash some teams. We're going to uplift some teams. So I, I know some of these picks, and uh, some are sketchy. Some are really good. But with that being said, I want to get right into it. Our first team that we are going to cover, I think everyone in the NFC West hates them. I think everyone in the NFC hates them. So let's go ahead and start talking about the Los Angeles Rams. Last year finished, I believe, 7-9, and nine, kind of a down year. A lot of people had high expectations for this Rams team. They lose a couple of pieces in Todd Gurley. They acquired Jalen Ramsey. They traded away a bunch of draft picks. They're in cap space hell. This team has so many issues, I don't know if it's going to be able to be fixed. So, we're going to start with you, Corey. What is your assessment on this Los Angeles Rams team? I think ego got in the way. I think I'm a huge believer in Sean McVay. I think he's brilliant. I, I think he's got excellent offensive schemes and everything. I just look at this team, and there's a lot of big names, but – I just look at it as ego. I'm not sure how many of those big names are actually playing for the team outside of maybe Aaron Donald and a couple guys on offense like Cooper Cup. But I think this is one of those situations where you've got all sorts of big names and flashy stuff, but like actual Los Angeles, once you get past Hollywood, it's complete shit. Well, that, that, that is a very interesting synopsis of those Rams. Henry, do you concur or do you disagree? I don't necessarily agree with that assessment. I actually like the Rams. I think they have a like he did say they have a talent pool, uh, a good uh, pool of talent, which I do agree with. I think the biggest issue for the Rams is one, they play in this division, and two, that schedule is not kind to them because they play in this division. So they have six games against Seahawks, Niners, Cards. Then they have to play the Bills. Then they have to play the Cowboys. Then they have to play the Bucks, the Patriots. That that's that schedule is brutal, and I just I can't see them having a successful season, mainly because of that schedule. 
Well, you forgot the beloved, the Chicago Bears as well, and that's not going to be. You know what? The Bears was on my notes, and I'm sorry. The the Bears should be an improved team. I do expect them to be much improved. Um, so yeah, I, I just can't see it, man. That's that's a lot of teams that they need to the bus saw through, which I, I can't see it happening in this division. So I think, from my perspective, what I see from the Rams is a team that had their window and now you see that window close. And we talked about how the Packers are going on the decline and we kind of see what the Rams have. I don't like their running game. I think their offensive line is very old and they need to find other pieces that may not be there. I also believe that defense is starting to regress. Aaron Donald is still Aaron Donald. You can't replace him. He creates so much havoc, and he will keep that defense very respectable, along with Jalen Ramsey. But you you start taking a look at that other side of its defense, and I'm not in love with the linebackers. I'm not in love with the other part of the secondary. I think the defensive line losing like guys like Quinn and Sue, it adds up. And then not only that, but you can't replace those guys because your first-round draft picks are gone. And I know first-round draft picks are not everything, and we talked about how Seattle traded too. Seattle's in a different class. They can trade first-round picks because they're so good at identifying talent, and these other teams struggle with that. The Rams are not there, and I think that is going to cause them to struggle in the future. This year you'll start seeing chinks in the armor. I'm not in love with Jared Goff. I honestly think when he has McVay in his ear, and Vic Fangio exploited this in 2018, and the Patriots used it in the Super Bowl, they'll show Goff a look, and that lets McVay call his offense and get set up. Then what Vic had them do was, all right, offense cut off the – Headset, boom, they go into an entirely separate defense, and Goff was a deer in headlights. Goff is fed information by McVay, and once you cut off that, Goff tends to struggle very much. So there's a lot of issues. I think this team's more on the decline. I don't see them improving off of last year. I actually see them getting worse. So I don't want to spend too much time on the Rams, but I do want to hit on one thing, and then we'll go to records. Who will be the Rams' most valuable player this year, in your guys' opinion? Henry, go ahead and start with that. As long as Aaron Donald puts on a jersey with him. Okay. Corey? Aaron Donald. It's The guy's a freak. He's, he's a freak. <laughs> i tell you what they need to do is they need to free up some money, right? So what they should do is take a guy that's on a short contract, a lot of money for one year, and trade him for Aaron Donald, some draft picks, maybe a D Ford and a couple first rounders. I don't know. Uh, as long as it's not the 49ers, I'm happy with that. That's why I said <laughs> for him it was to trade him it was. We give we'll give you D Ford and D Ford's money. Put him there with Bosa, and it's a wrap. I'm gonna pass on that one. I don't want to see it. <laughs> so, but I'm actually going to go a different route here. I actually think Jalen Ramsey will be the Rams MVP this year, and that will give you an indication of what I think of the Rams. So I think we just, I think we all agree that this team's on the decline. It's not going to get better. Um, They have too much, too many cap issues. Henry wants Aaron Donald on the 49ers and let's all pray that doesn't happen. But (laughs) so Henry, what do you have the Rams record for 2020? 
I'm, I'm being a little generous with this record um, and I'm giving them six wins. So I'm going six and 10. Um, I, I, and again, that's being pretty generous. I can see a situation where they start 0-3, 0-4. And, and I, like I said, that schedule is just, it's a black and blue schedule. Corey, what do you think? I give them seven and nine. And the reason is kind of self-deprecating, but it's because they play the Cardinals twice. And since Sean McVay came, became the coach of the Rams, the Cardinals have never beat him. Mm, never knew that. Well, that, that is interesting. Um, Leon has a suggestion in our comment section saying that Rodgers could end his career in L.A. I don't see it happening. Not a team with this much cap issues. And I think realistically taking a look at um, Aaron Rodgers, he'll probably retire at the same time Goff's contract ends. So I just don't see that as a realistic possibility. Goff is still going to be quarterback in this team because it's kind of like that salary cap pigeonhole. I don't see how they get more than six wins this year. I've watched some tape. Goff is good enough to beat the scrubs. I don't think he's good enough to beat the elite teams or even the very good teams. So kind of to your point, Henry, I look at the Rams schedule. I mean, it's very easy to find 10 losses. I think it's easier to find 11 losses than it is to find seven wins. So for that reason, I'm going six and 10 for those Rams. All right, moving on to a team that I really like. I still think there's some pieces that they're, they need to get to go to the next level. But let's talk about this Arizona Cardinals team. Kyler Murray had a very impressive rookie campaign, one of the better rookie quarterbacks. I think we all agree on that from last year. So they somehow convinced Bill O'Brien, and I still believe they have Bill O'Brien on tape murdering someone or having an affair with some owner <laughs> because they traded a second-round pick and – they got David Johnson and salary cap relief, and the reward for that was DeAndre Hopkins. I, I don't get it. Let's talk, let's talk about the trade. I think that's a very important storyline for the Cardinals this year. How? I don't know. Any, I, I don't get that. I, it's there's I thought high, it was. Like you said there has to be some some Rex Ryan. <laughs> There's something out there. They, 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 they got to have something on them. Man. I can't you see know. that kind of trade. And, and real quick, I'm glad the Jets got what they got because it reset the trade market. You know, I've always had a kind of theory about that because it's something that came out after we actually got him. Um, because D-Hop was on some of the the national stations, and they were talking about how Bill O'Brien is a bit of a racist. Um, so maybe that was it. I yeah, I, I, I could. I'm not going to say I can see it, but I I can see something major like that. But I think if that were the case, that would be a larger story. But even then, you can't give up that that you have to be able to get back something that moves the needle that allows you to rebuild and or just add a bunch of assets which you can do something down the road you can't give them up for nothing which is essentially what they did right my issue with the trade is a couple of pieces here Stefan Diggs got the Vikings a first round pick and on no planet is Stefan Diggs 
better than DeAndre Hopkins. It's just, it's unfathomable. Odell Beckham Jr. got the Giants, I believe, a first-round pick. Julius Pepper, or not Julius Peppers, Jabril Peppers. If he got him Julius Peppers in his prime, that'd be something. But they've got him Julius Peppers now. (laughs) They could use them. And then you take a look at, you know, the Jamal Adams trade. To your point, Henry, two first-round picks, and Brady, Bradley McDougal, Brady McDougal. When DeAndre Hopkins has three years left on his contract. And it's not a burden. The contract is nowhere near a burden. Even if he wanted more money, you still have team control for three years. You can work on that. You could be like, DeAndre, we're going to take care of you. Let's just get through this year. I, I cannot fathom how dumb of a trade it is. And I thought when we had Bob Milliken on, when we discussed the AFC South, he said it perfectly. Bill O'Brien, the GM, is going to get Bill O'Brien, the head coach, fired. Because that's exactly what's happening here. Deshaun Watson has nothing to throw to. I know people think Will Fuller's good. Will Fuller was made by DeAndre Hopkins. Now you can start spreading out coverages. You don't have to worry about double teaming those guys. It is going to be hell on Deshaun Watson. And I feel bad for him. I don't see him staying with Houston if he can get out of there. And O'Brien may ship him off for a fourth-round pick. We don't know. So let's take a look at and what do they pull the plug on that experiment. I, I Are we looking at a Marvin Lewis thing where like a whole decade goes by when he should have been fired versus when he actually was? I would think you have to. You have to get him out of there as soon as possible before he does more damage. I mean, he traded Clowney for two cents on the dollar, and then he ended up trading DeAndre Hopkins for literally a bag of Doritos. So we, we look at this on the Cardinal side, which was, God dang it, a home run on them being able to get a first number one top three or two wide receiver in the entire NFL. And not only did you get him, you only gave up a second round pick. You got to keep your eighth overall pick, which we'll touch on who they drafted there in a minute. And not only that, but you got salary cap relief in the form of getting rid of a running back who was not doing anything for your team. And we saw how vastly improved the offense was when Kenyon Drake got more carries than David Johnson. This trade for the Cardinals is a franchise changing trade. There are more pieces that have to be done. My view on the Cardinals this year, I love Isaiah Simmons. And I know, Corey, you're high on him. I think there's spots on this team where he can play out of Clemson, a fantastic linebacker. But I think he's more of a hybrid guy. You move him on the field. You don't want to stick him in, like, one spot where defenses can run at him. You let him dictate where he's going to go. But this team's biggest issue is going to be offensive line. And I, as – Randy always says, and it may be a little overblown, I do watch a lot of game tape. I've been watching it for about four years now. And out of the four years I have watched this game tape, the Cardinals offensive line last year, if it is not the worst offensive line I have seen in the last four years, I would love for someone to tell me who was worse because they have nothing. There's not a guy I would feel comfortable, and I've heard DJ Fluker. I I don't trust Fluker in pass protection, and it's affecting Kyler Murray. So let's go with Corey. What's your biggest issue with the Cardinals going into 2020? Run defense. Last year they they were either 29th or 30th in defending against 
the run. Every team would run all of and on top of giving up all those yards rushing, we'd have random QBs like Duck Hodges and Brandon Allen for the Carolina Panthers look like freaking MVP caliber quarterbacks. And I don't think that they did a ton to address the rush defense. And that's probably my biggest worry this season. I definitely see it as a liability. And there were guys out there that I felt that they could have drafted. And they ended up taking Isaiah Simmons, who I, who I said is very good, but he's still undersized. He's not going to be that run-plugging linebacker that I thought they, they could use. With guys like Javon Kinlaw out there and Patrick Queen, I felt that there were other linebackers. And the Cardinals were in a prime spot to trade down. I thought trading down would have been the better move here, but they stayed where they were at. But that's an excellent point. Run defense, definitely an issue for the Cardinals. Henry, from what you've seen from the Cardinals watching against the Niners, what do you think the Cardinals' biggest issue going into 2020 will be? Uh, the one thing I, I agree with you is that, and pardon me, I know I left there and I, I reconnected on my phone, so bear with me, guys. Sorry about that. Um, I just think we had him running for his life and him being Kyler Murray. We had him going all over the place. Jim, um, Nick Bosa all over the place. He just, he had to run everywhere. And because he's athletic as he is, he was able to get out of some of that. But you can't have that kind of talent and not protect them. We've seen what happens too many times. I would say watching the tape, it showed Murray where he would take his eyes off the receivers and immediately look for a running lane as soon as he felt that pressure. And it was almost disheartening to see because I know Murray can throw. He has some mechanical issues that he definitely needs to fix. Where he holds the ball in relation to getting the football out of his hands quickly is not a good motion. He needs to keep it a little bit more up and get it out. For anybody that wants to watch textbook stuff, look at Drew Brees, look at Russell Wilson. It's an art form, and they do it better than anybody in the NFL. But I would see Murray, as soon as he felt that pressure, he was gone. He was looking for a running lane. That was it. He wasn't mm -hmm, allowed to develop. What was that, Corey? I said definitely. And it hurts this offense because you would see guys like Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk start to break on their routes. They would get, they would be open as soon as Murray is getting in that running lane. And it's just, I wish Murray could just move his feet this way or that way, move up, manipulate the pocket a little more because he's got a strong arm. He fixes, if he can fix those strong mechanics and a lot of things have to go right. Is he a future MVP? Maybe. I don't know. The arm talent's there. The speed is there. He can wreak havoc. But the Cardinals had a golden opportunity to draft three other offensive linemen, and they didn't take any of them in the first round, which I would think was their biggest need. Tristan Wirfs would have been fantastic for this team. There was also that tackle out of Louisville, who was like 360 pounds, would have been a perfect fit for this offense as well. And they could have traded down a little bit to get one of those guys. And I felt that it was an opportunity missed. And instead they drafted Isaiah Simmons. And to your point, Corey, the run defense was the issue, but they didn't address the run defense either because Javon Kinlaw was sitting out there. And like I said, Patrick Queen, there are other guys they could have got by trading down. 
Corey, I want to ask you this, because I have my thoughts on Steve Kime. I'm not a huge Steve Kime guy. I give him credit for moving off of Rosen and taking Murray, but I feel his drafting has been poor at best. What's your view on Steve Kime as the Arizona Cardinals GM? Like you said, it's really weird looking at his past, like, five drafts. He does really good in round two, but nowhere else. And I think that that's extremely rare. Like, you – you know, I know he's – he talks a big game, but I don't really trust him when he's making the pick unless it's, like, Murray or maybe Simmons where, like, everybody's like, oh, my God, it would be it would be stupid for them not to do this. That's the only time when he's smart to me. Like, like he, he – like he said – Going from Rosen to Murray, that took some guts, and it it's really paid off. But outside of that, I don't really trust him making decisions. Not unless it's an old guy past his prime. <laughs> well, and I think the thing that's frustrating to me is when we take a look at teams in your division, just isolating the teams in your division, and Henry gets to see the 49ers on a weekly basis. That is what you're trying to be. I, and you don't have to run the same system. No one's going to accuse you for running that system. But you know what you need to stop. They're showing you. The 49ers are going to do a lot of motion, and they're just going to run the ball right down your throat. And if you can't stop that, you're not beating that team. And then you saw what the Chiefs struggled with. They couldn't protect Patrick Mahomes well enough in the first half. When they started protecting Mahomes better in the first half, you saw them getting more points, more opportunities, and Mahomes started getting, you know, started being Patrick Mahomes. So to me, the blueprint was right there for the Cardinals. We either need to draft a defensive lineman or we need to draft an offensive lineman because that's the team who we have to leapfrog. And I will not say Isaiah Simmons was a bad pick. I felt Isaiah Simmons could be a luxury pick if you had one of those things, but the Cardinals have neither of those things outside of Chandler Jones. Yeah. No, I'm, I'll admit there's one pick that we made in the, in the later rounds this year that I'm kind of high on. And that's Josh Jones. As far as the offensive linemen, i I really think that Alabama puts out some really good offensive linemen. So I really like that particular pick as far as protecting Burn. Henry, if you were giving advice to Steve Kime on how to beat the 49ers, what would you have told him to draft? I think you're right. I think you got to protect that line and you got to protect Kyler. You got to give him time to do what he can do with the weapons that he has. All right. So before we start giving our... I'm sorry, I know my internet is unstable. I'm going to try to hop back on via the computer. It just looks better that way. So bear with me if I, if I come in and out. I'm sorry, guys. Oh, no, yeah, no, absolutely, Henry. You are fine. So let's just go round table here real quick. Is Kyler Murray an MVP-type quarterback in 2020? Um, in 2020, no. Eventually, yes. I think that kid is amazing. I initially thought he made the wrong choice in choosing football over baseball. Doesn't look that way. I still would have loved to have seen what we can, what we could have gotten from him in baseball. But I mean, you know, 
for his own reasons, and you know, only he knows those reasons. He chose football, and he's a pretty damn good athlete. I mean, kid is amazing. He has an amazing skill set. Um, I think down the road he can be, he can definitely be an MVP. It's funny. I had this conversation with my brother-in-law last weekend. He thinks Kyler Murray is a bust, and he thinks Daniel Jones uh, is an MVP. <laughs> so I mean, you know how those Giant fans can be. He's in the group, by the way. I'm going to tell. You. <laughs> yeah, that's. But yeah, I love Kyler's. I, I love Kyler's talent. Um, just I don't see it this year. I see a good season from them, but I don't see that MVP type performance from him. Right, Corey, what do you think? 2020, the year of Kyler? No, because I think that we're going to lean on the run a lot more than a lot of people are expecting. Because that's kind of the shift that Cliff Kingsbury made close to the end of the season last year. He started giving more to Kenji Drink. And he started giving more to Chase Edmonds. So I think because it's going to be run heavy and then Kyler doing things after the fact, I wouldn't put him at MVP for 2020. 2021, possibly. My thoughts on Kyler Murray are this. The talent is undeniable. You watch his games and he's literally one of those guys that jumps off the tape. You notice him every play he's on offense. And he is one of those guys that, you know, as a Bears fan, I really haven't seen a quarterback in my lifetime. So it's just kind of like I have to watch other teams to enjoy good quarterback play. So when I watched the Cardinals tape, I I was so impressed with his ability to just move and throw. And I think those are two things you can teach mental aspects of the game and he will get better with protection and understanding route trees and being more patient with his receivers and DeAndre Hopkins is going to help him immensely. But the way that kid can throw football is special. And you can tell he's a baseball player by his throwing motion because there's a lot of wind up to it and he throws Mm -hmm. over the top and it's, it's got to get more consistent with that. But if that gets nailed down, you're going to see his accuracy improve with throwing the football And you're going to see a lot of fireworks from that Cardinals offense if they can shore up that offensive line. 2020 is not an MVP year for Kyler. But I think 2020 will be a statement year from Kyler saying, I'm coming, I'm next. So is he going to reach that top 10 status of quarterbacks? Yes, he will. Not in 2020, but 2021, people better watch out because this kid's going to make a hell of a lot of noise. And going with that, let's start getting into the 2020 Arizona Cardinals records. Um, we do have the Rams at Corey has them at seven and nine, six and ten for Henry, six and ten for myself. Are the Cardinals the third place team or the second place team in this division? Go ahead and start us off, Corey, since it's your team. Um, I'm actually going to sort of piggyback off of something that Randy said earlier today um, in show prep. I think the Cardinals end up nine and seven. I think they end up second in the division um, because the offense is it's out of control. It's and nobody talks about Kenyon Drake, but that guy is that guy is something. Henry took off the sunglasses. It's business time. 
All right, Henry, give me that 2020 Arizona Cardinals record. I'm going to agree with the record. I have them at nine and seven. Um, Not second place, though. I just, it's too top heavy. So I'm going to go with nine and seven. I like the Cardinals. I like their talent. Wrong division for them. So I agree on the third place finish for the Cardinals. I don't agree with nine and seven. I don't think you get unscathed in the NFL by having bad front lines as throughout my entire years playing my entire year coach, my entire years as a coach, my entire year as a player, it's hammered into your brain that the line wins the games. Everything else is flash and sizzle on the stake, but you got to have the lines. And I will say, due to the offensive line, I do like the Josh Jones pick. That's a good call out, Corey. I, I think at best this team maximizes at 8-8. Eight and eight. I just have a hard time believing that you're going to be able to win nine games with probably one of the worst offensive lines in the league and going against one of the best fronts in the league in the 49ers. I can't see it. So 8-8 eight and eight's my record. I do have them above the Rams. I have the Rams at 6-10. and 10, So... I, I'm interested to find out who Corey has in third place now, but let's go ahead. Let's talk about the team that finished in second place last year, a team that acquired Jamal Adams, who in my opinion is the second be- or is the best safety in the NFL. And Seattle does Seattle things. I knew they were going to get Jamal Adams because of how they prioritize that secondary. They are the Legion of Boom for a reason, and they're back. This is a really, really good team. So, the 2020 Seattle Seahawks. Henry, let's talk about the Seahawks. What is your thought process when you heard the news that they got Jamal Adams? I was pissed. I was pissed because I thought we had a realistic shot at him. And if there was a team that I did not want him to go to, it was the Seahawks. Not getting him sucked. Not getting him and him going to the Seahawks sucked worse. And um, that makes that defense even scarier. That's their their secondary is their bread and butter. That's where they live. That's where they dare you to throw that ball. And, and like you said, they find a collection of talent that's fast. They're, they're exceptional tacklers. And, you know, they, they want you to throw it. That's what they do. They want you to throw it. They, they dare you to throw it. And they just got the best guy in the league at, you know, locking that part of the field down. So, you know, um, that division just got tougher. That team just got better. And as much as I hate Pete Carroll, he has a punchable face. And a lot of punch, a lot of shit he's done in, in college. But, you know, the guy has an eye for talent. The guy puts some great schemes together. And then you say what you want. He's a damn good coach. And they, they, they do identify talent. And they, they do move. And they strike. And it was a great trade. And I thought, even though they gave up two first-round picks, where those first-round picks end up is what was key to me. Because they... It's not really first-round picks. Yeah, it's first-round technically, but they're more late-round, you know, guys that you could probably get in the second round depending if somebody, you know, boots their pick or whatever. So I thought it was a very good trade for them. It was a perfect trade for both teams, honestly. The Jets got great value. The Seahawks, they stole the best defensive player. I mean, the best secondary defensive player in the league. So, you know, hats off to them. Screw them, but hats off to them anyway. I, I think that was worded very eloquently, 
Corey, how did you feel when you heard uh, Jamal Adams going to your rival Seattle Seahawks? I said who? No, I'm kidding. Um, no, like Henry said, you know, of all the teams for him to go to, why? <laughs> why Seattle? Why did it have to be Seattle? I mean, I just – it was a good deal for him, and like Henry said about the picks, you know, I'm not, I'm not normally one to even suggest handing up first round picks, let alone two in a back to back. But when you have Russell Wilson on the other side of the ball, and you could guarantee nine or ten wins, you take it. Yeah, I think if I'm looking at Seattle as a team. And Pete Carroll's philosophy, and I'm a big USC fan, so there's a lot of bad blood, I feel, towards Pete Carroll abandoning that program when he damn well knew what happened. So he got off scot-free, but now he's in Seattle, and he's reaping all the benefits of, you know, he's a gutsy head coach. It took a lot of guts to go to Russell Wilson, like we talked about on top of the show. You know, it, it takes a lot of guts to do something like that. And Pete Carroll's the guy to do it. So this trade to me was just like, just made too much sense. It was a marriage made in heaven. They value the secondary. They exploit matchups better than anybody in the NFL when it comes to the defensive side of the football. To me, I don't think any division did more to improve as a whole than what the NFC West did this entire year. It was something that I thought was impressive, just taking a look at Seattle and then Arizona. And I have some notes on San Francisco, which I think is very underrated. But when you have the best player on offense in your division, and I don't care what anyone says, Russell Wilson is the best offensive player in the NFC West. You want to argue with me? Let's go ahead and argue. But the Cardinals got a Hall of Fame wide receiver. The Seahawks got a Hall of Fame safety. And I'm ready to put Adams in that class because he's just that damn good. This team's not going to miss out on first-round picks. They have – I love DK Metcalf, first of all. He is – an absolute beast with his body and ability to catch the football. He's going to be one of the best wide receivers in the NFL in a few years. Terrell Owens. I said it once. I'll say it again. That's how strongly I feel about DK Metcalf. Then they have Tyler Lockett. Perfect compliment to that team. Very underrated, by the way. Very underrated. Great call out, Henry. Yes. Tyler Lockett is probably a top 10 wide receiver in this league, and he does not get any of the respect that goes with that. So I take a look at the Seahawks team, and it's good. And the Jets got great value. And I don't think that trade hurts Seattle at all. And James Pinos brought up a, a point that I thought it was interesting. How about the pass rush? They have lost Clowney and done little to replace. How many of you guys heard of Frank Clark before he went to Seattle? Anybody? I mean, Michael Bennett before he went to Seattle. That's what Seattle does. How many people heard of Richard Sherman before he went? He was a wide receiver and an ostracized defensive back before he went to Seattle. This is what Pete Carroll does. It's we're going to bring in a hundred guys every training camp. And if you stick out on film and when we watch it and you stick out on practice, we're going to give you a shot. They find these guys. They will find a pass rusher. It may not be to the level of, you know, we talk about Chandler Jones or Joey Bosa or DeForest Buckner or those elite guys, but they're going to find a guy that's going to get them nine, 10 sacks. They'll find those guys across the line. They'll do it by a team approach. 
Clowney, for as good of a player as he was, I think he only had three or four sacks with the Seahawks. So he did have an impact, but let's not make it out to be this extravagant impact that they lost. No, I think Jadavion Clowney right now is more name recognition than you get on field play at this point. I agree. I, I definitely agree with that statement. I know Jets fans are clamoring for him. And he might be a good fit with the Jets. I think Greg Williams is a great defensive coordinator. But with Seattle, he didn't fit. You know, it, it wasn't a fit. I think if he goes to the team where he's not the guy and you can put him in a good system, you know, I think he works extremely well. Um, the dude is a wealth of talent. You know, he can teach a lot to young guys. So, you know, I, I like the Jets as a landing spot for him. Good call. Yeah, and I, I give credit to Jacob, who's – Jacob Anthony Moses has been pushing that. And I think um, Leon brought up a point about Josh Gordon. So let's talk about Josh Gordon with Seattle for a minute. I do not believe Seattle is going to go down the Josh Gordon route again. They may, but it, to me, it doesn't feel like a need. Corey, does Seattle need Josh Gordon? Not with that quarterback. But I, I did see something – that they're watching Antonio Brown. And I think that if there is one quarterback in the league that could get both of those guys on the right track, it's Russell Wilson. The guy's leadership abilities are off. And I say that as someone with soon to be a master's in leadership, Russell Wilson is the real deal as a leader. Henry, your thoughts? Um, kudos to Corey on that master's plug. I love that, baby. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Love it. Uh, I'm going to go extremely bold here. I think Seattle ends up with both Josh Gordon and Antonio Brown. I think they they feel the Niners starting to pull away. And they went and they made the Jamal Adams trade. And they went and I think they'll nest, I'll think they land both guys and, and close that gap. I agree with them on both guys. It, it's going to happen. It just makes too much sense. There's two organiza- The two best-run organizations in the NFL, as much as I hate to admit it, are the Patriots and the Seahawks. You take those two teams out, and you don't see teams going back to the Super Bowl, win or lose. You don't see teams consistently going back to the playoffs. You don't see teams consistently having winning seasons. Those are the two teams who are the two best-run teams in the NFL, and they've shown it with consistency over the last decade. And I can see a, I can see a situation where they end up with both guys. And that's scary with Russ. Mm-hmm. I'm going to disagree. I go back to Seattle and I think about Lockett and DK Metcalf. And then really to me what this team needs is another tight end. They have to find a tight end that can attack the middle of the field. I don't think Gordon addresses that need. And I don't think AB addresses that need. If they get any one of these guys, I think it's more likely that they'll get Josh Gordon. A.B. retired, and then he got suspended on his retirement. They yeah. <laughs> You know, it's funny, not, not to plug a Niner move, but I thought Jordan Reed, I thought he was going to end up in Seattle. That would have been the right move mm-hmm. for Seattle. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Seattle let him get away – I'm not saying, you know, the Bears overpaid for Jimmy Graham. I'm not saying Jimmy Graham was the answer to go back to Seattle. But when I see the teams in their division, the Rams are still good defensively, and you can attack them in the middle of the field. And the 49ers, you really don't want to mess 
with their corners. And if you can attack them in the middle of the field, you want to attack them in the middle of the field. Adding more perimeter guys in that division, you have Patrick Peterson. I, I just don't know if you want to go get another wide receiver. I think you want to exploit more matchups. And if they're going to run four wide receiver sets or five wide receiver sets and totally abandon the tight end position, fine. I don't think that's the route I would want to go, but it may work for them. Um, I want to get your guys' thoughts on Russell Wilson. Where would you guys put him on your quarterback hierarchy? Is he one, two, three, four, five, or do you have him outside of the top five? Where do you have him? Henry, we'll go with you first. Numero uno. I hate to say it. He's my rival. The guy doesn't do anything wrong on or off the field. I mean, you sit there and you watch his play. He's gotten better and better and better. He's gotten more accurate. He's learned to run unnecessarily less. So when Russ starts his running, it's out of necessity. Before, he used to run wildly. And because he was so great, he could hide a lot of that. I think he runs now when he needs to run, and he's got great wheels, and he can escape almost any situation. I know Pat Mahomes, everyone's big on Pat Mahomes, and I don't think you can go wrong choosing him one either. But right now, I think Russ is the number one quarterback in the NFL. Corey? I'm going to go with number one as well. And I think part of the reason why I'm going to go number one since he came into the league in 2012 or 2013, do you know how many times the Seahawks had less than 10 wins? Just, I don't know. Once. Three. And it was nine wins. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's it's a, the craziest thing. That's one of the organizations in the league. Yeah, it's, you have rest, you have a chance. Patrick oh. Mahomes is amazing, but yeah. So – Obviously, you two are NFC West fans, and you've seen Russell Wilson terrorize you guys for too many times. times. I I have Russell Wilson number two, and it's because Patrick Mahomes is number one. Um, I think Russell Wilson is dynamic, and he is the best quarterback in the NFC at this point. I I don't think anybody should even try to argue that. I just feel Patrick Mahomes is like when you play all Madden and you up you not only do you play it on all Madden, but you up the AI intelligence all the way. That's what you're facing when you go against Patrick Mahomes. I have seen Russell Wilson make some decisions and some things. The Niner games, and granted, I'm comparing, I'm looking at games against the best defense in the NFL last year when I look at Russell Wilson. But that's the measuring stick that Russell Wilson has given us. He has proven that, hey, I need to look at these games, and these are the games I need to evaluate him against because he is that good. He deserves to be evaluated against the best competition. I could take a look at him versus the Rams or the Cardinals, no offense, Corey, but that's not going to show me how good Russell Wilson is at this point. I need to see him against the best, and then I need to see Patrick Mahomes against the best. Well, and not to mention with that, you know how many times – the Cardinals have won in Seattle since twenty since twenty fifteen. I, I think every time, haven't they? They always seem to go to Seattle and win. Every time but one. Every time. It Henry, it is one of those weird things that is unexplainable. It's, and, like, the yeah. Jets, it's like the Jets always beating the Patriots at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and the Seahawks come here and they wipe the Cardinals' ass every time they come here. So Every time. 
I will say to your point, though, I know you said you've seen the tape with him, Russ, against the Niners. So, and you may call me crazy, you've seen the tape of the game. I think the only reason the Seahawks were in those games was because of Russ. So the Niners play a cover three, which leaves the middle of the field exposed. And with Russ's skill set, he exposes that and he creates more time for there to be guys to do what they got to do, get open and hit them. And he hits them nine out of 10 times. And he can, he, there's times that it would be third and 10, third and nine. You're like, good, we're about to have a three and nine. This guy fucking scrambles and he finds somebody in the middle of the field. It's always in the middle of the field. That's where you attack us at. And, and he was always getting that first down. It was 10 yards, 11 yards. It, it felt like every third down he needed to convert, he always made it, and it drove me crazy. I guess I agree with all that. I mean, you watch it, and that's exactly fair points. I look at getting the job done when you look at the top two. Mahomes got the job done. And, you know, we can get into Jimmy Garoppolo overthrowing Emmanuel Sanders to win the Super Bowl. That's a moot point at this time. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes became Patrick Mahomes in that second quarter and in the playoffs. Russell Wilson, for as much as we laud his talents, he loses games. And not that he loses games, but I don't feel – every time he goes out, I don't feel like they can absolutely win the game because of Russell Wilson. When I watched the playoffs this past year – and this was really put it over the edge for me. Mahomes did things that I've never seen any quarterback do. I've, I've never seen an offense score 48 straight points. Like every time they touched the damn ball, it was a touchdown. And no one could stop that team. No one. When they got rolling, once Mahomes and that offense gets in a rhythm, it's unstoppable. The, the 49ers felt that. You know, and some of the best teams, the Titans felt that. You know, I think the Titans, we look at the Titans, they got a really good defense. They couldn't stop Mahomes. I just feel like Russell Wilson needs to be that guy to push them over the edge. And he was, and I know he needs help, but if I'm just comparing those two in a vacuum, I take a look at the guy that got the job done, and it was Mahomes that got the job done, and Russ. So let, let me ask you a question. How many times has – Patrick Mahomes throwing it to Tariq Hill and Tariq Hill bails him out. A lot. I mean, and Russ doesn't have that. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, Tariq Hill is special, but Russ doesn't have that. There was a lot of – and granted, Mahomes creates his own plays. He, I, I see him as Russell Wilson as with a better skill set because I don't think I've ever seen anyone that accurate while being mobile ever. Not even Steve Young. He is deadly accurate on the run, which is amazing. But I, I think Tariq Hill, you know, kind of gives him that, that parachute. I'm going to counterpoint that with Alex Smith had Ty Tyreek Hill. And Tyreek Hill wasn't Tyreek Hill until Patrick Mahomes came. <laughs> I, I love Alex Smith. I, I don't want to put him through the ring or anything, but Patrick Mahomes, and I, I get it, Tyreek Hill does bail people out, but the ball placement's still just ridiculous. Mahomes throws no-look passes. I've, I've never seen that. And accurate no-look passes. I've never seen anyone that accurate on the run before. 
I mean, I, I, I am going to take my Patrick Mahomes and feel really good about it, but I also feel really good about Russell Wilson. But I don't yeah, think there's – they're, Those guys are there. I think it's those two. Then you have your Lamar Jackson, and then you have everyone else. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I, I think that's definitely fair. It would be nice to see these young quarterbacks move up. I know a lot of people are high on Deshaun Watson. I've watched a lot of Watson tape. You talk about a guy that just, if he can protect himself more, Deshaun Watson definitely gets up in that category as well. But he's got to do better. All right. Spoke about the Seahawks ad nauseum. Let's start getting into the meat of their 2020 records. We're going to start with you, Henry. I think this is fair to say your biggest rival as a 49er fan. What do you have the Seahawks at? Um, So the, the Seahawks have been the bane of my fandom for the last, decade or so just short of a decade they've killed us they've just they've had some of the worst losses comeback wins I've seen it all against the Seahawks um I do think we're still the class of the NFC I have the Seahawks at 11 and 5 and I have them losing the division in the exact same manner they lost it last year the last game against the 49ers and we are home all right, Corey, what do you have the Seahawks at? Before I say that, I would just want to say, can we please have another NFC West to, like deciding game like that last year? That was insane. We're going to get it. That's, that's my inch. God damn, that game was wonderful. Despite me hating both teams that were in it, that was, that was awesome. Uh, I had the Seahawks winning the division at 13-3. and three. I think that I think that when we play the NFC East this year, like the Washington football team and that little little whorehouse team in Dallas and <laughs> that horde division, I think that Russell Wilson and the Seahawks get thirteen and three and I think they at least make the conference championship game. Man, that is very impressive. I thirteen and three is a lot of wins in that division. I mean, it's a lot of wins. Granted, they play the NFC East, which is probably the worst division in the NFC. I mean, it's a good year to pull that division. Mm-hmm. And by the way, speaking of the NFC East, is any team like if we were to take odds, I would say the Cowboys are far and away the team that would lead the entire NFL and having to forfeit games because of COVID cases. A- am I wrong in that thinking? No, uh, it's very Jimmy Jones. I mean, Jimmy Jones. <laughs> Jerry Jones. Oh, what is At least the number Jones one in something. Right it's very Jerry Jones-esque to have a team that does lead the – I. The, They'll be the they'll be the St. Louis Cardinals. They'll go to a a function. They'll go to the casino. They'll do something really stupid, and get it. I, I they'll be the team for sure. So Sandra's coming after you. Just just so you know, Sandra Rivera. When she watches this, she will be coming after you, Henry. I got something. <sighs> it's bad enough for Philly's team, you know. Has, <laughs> team. All right. So uh, Dak, Dak's going to throw another party. I, I mean, you just can't have that. You just can't have Zeke and Dak on a team and not expect to get COVID, in my opinion. But anyway, 
the Seahawks. <laughs> there are a lot of things I like about the Seahawks. There are some things I don't like about the Seahawks. To me, this feels like an 11 and five football team. I, I don't just some of the games are going to play are going to be difficult. I mean, if we expect the Vikings to be better, that's going to be a tough game. I don't really think the Vikings are going to be all that great, but they'll get the Vikings. Um, I'm trying to think who finished in second place last year in the NFC South and it is escaping me, but I, I think that second place schedule for Seattle will be a little bit challenging. I just don't know if they have the strength and the girth on the lines to win this division. So I'm going to go 11 and five. I think this team screams 11 and five to me at this point. So, so Maddie, you know, you are, first of all, I'm glad that you come and you accepted it. And after the video last year, it seems that you are on my side. We have three identical picks so far. I'm not sure if you realize that. Well, I mean, placement. Well, I don't want to give away my placement. Oh, yeah, we have the same records for the for those three teams so far. I had the cards at eight and eight. I thought you had them at nine and seven. Oh, you had eight and eight. Okay, so no, you don't. You still, you still suck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when when Randy and I do the show, we seem to think alike so much. We have the same record. So maybe you just need to be on more often. I uh, agree. <laughs> so, all right. Let's talk about the Super Bowl losers. Yes, that is right, the losers. It took me three games, actually only two, well, yeah, three games, to finally predict an accurate loss for the 49ers. But I did predict them to beat the Packers because God knows. In the words of our great friend Leon Topkins, fuck 12. So <laughs> <laughs> we are – we are going to look at the 49ers roster, and I have a lot of feelings about this. I have gotten a lot of heat for some of the takes I've had lately with the 49ers, not with you, Henry, but other people have been putting my feet to the fire on some statements that I have made. But I want to say a couple of things. For a team that lost an offensive tackle, they actually improved by getting Trent Williams, a Hall of Fame left tackle, which I don't think can be understated. They did trade DeForest Buckner to the Ram or to the Colts for the 13th overall pick in which they took Javon Kinlaw. They did get Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State. Arizona you know, Pac-12 fans should be pretty familiar with him. He's a very fantastic possession receiver, comes highly regarded with great hands. I'm not as high on him as others are. They did lose Emmanuel Sanders. And of course, they suffered that gut punch in the Super Bowl, which a lot of teams struggle to come back from. And not only was it a gut punch, but it was a coach that suffered the gut punch for the second straight, well, mm -hmm. second straight Super Bowl in Kyle Shanahan by not running the football enough in the second half, which some people would debate was right or wrong. But Henry, this is your team. Where did things go wrong for the 49ers in the Super Bowl? I think Kyle Shanahan just got into his own head. I think if he kept, the same momentum and the same schemes that he was running. I think we'd be the Super Bowl winners. I think you saw Jimmy G lose confidence in himself, and I think you saw Kyle Shanahan lose confidence in Jimmy G in that game as well. They kept running that ball. That game would be over. Game should have been over. I love the Chiefs' talent, but I think we still outplayed them in that game. Even though we lost, I think we outplayed them. 
that you hit Emmanuel Sanders on the fly when he's ahead, that game's over. The narrative is very different. I'm sorry. I just realized the lighting isn't getting as good. It's getting dark. I'm sorry. Um, well, it's know, like the 49ers. Does get the same extent? Well, I, I, I was just going <laughs> to correlate that with the 49ers in the second half. The lights went out on them. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, the, does Mahomes get that? Does Jimmy G get that, you know, bullshit tag that people were tagging him all of a sudden? Seems some people say he's not a top 20 quarterback. It's a joke. Does Kyle Shanahan get the shit that he's getting undeservedly so? You know, a lot of things changes with that one throw. And granted, the game wasn't lost on that one throw. It definitely wasn't. But, you know, we, we, we are loaded, man. We are loaded. I love my coach. I love my I was a big hardball guy. I was mad when we lost them to Michigan. I didn't think Shanahan would grow on me as fast as he did. I was wrong. I'm glad I'm wrong. I watch his schemes. I watch his adjustments from week to week. I watch his game plan, and I love this guy. And I think he's one of the better coaches in the league, top five coach perhaps. I love him. I love what we're, what we're doing. So I beforehand we were talking, and there's guys that we're getting back that were on the pup list last year that people don't realize. You know, we get back Jalen Hurd. We get back Jason Verrett, Tim Harris, DJ Jones, Trent Taylor. I mean, Trent, people forgot about Trent Taylor. We get Sean Coleman back on the line. There's a lot. We have, we're so deep. We may not have those guys that are household names and those giant superstars, but we have a lot of guys that we can plug and play in the schemes that we play, which I absolutely love. And we do have, hold my feet to the fire. I'll go down saying this. We have the best defensive coordinator in the league and Rob Salah with that cover three. Now, Matt, I'm going to get a little X's and O's here. You'll love this. Rob Salah doesn't just play one variation of the cover three. He plays all four. The Niners play all four variations of the cover three. They play well. They play the buzz. They play the cloud, the blitz, and the sky, and they do it well. And we have the defensive players to pull that off. I look at you. You're getting excited, baby. <laughs> You're speaking but my I, love language. I think the Niners are so deep um, and so talented. I think they can – just dust off where we where we lost and, and come back strong and win this division. And this division is going to be horrible. And and we get Jared McKinnon finally in year three. Finally, Jared McKinnon, which, like I said before, this guy runs routes like a wide receiver. Now you add Jordan Reed to the best tight end in football already. I mean, this, look, Jimmy Garoppolo, still underrated. He's only had one real season. And in that season, he took them to the Super Bowl. I'm still very high on Jimmy G, top 10, top 13 quarterback in the league. I think he makes that jump. He has too much talent not to run first offense. He'll hit the guys when he needs to hit them. George Kittle's a hell of an escape hatch. So I have the Niners actually going back to the Super Bowl. Well, don't give it away yet. That was all great information. I'm a little I hot. I, I can't stand up right now because, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna say, I mean, you start dropping cover three, buzz, clouds, all this stuff. I, you know, I, I'm having hot flashes right now. And oh, another thing, we got to get it done within the next year or two because I already see where this is going. Rob Salah is going to be a head coach somewhere. Although I love the guy, I can easily see him as one of these Greg Williams types that may not be a good head coach, but is a great coordinator. So I hope we pay him. I hope we keep that man happy. I love his fire. I love his passion. And more importantly, I love his schemes. 
I, I don't have a whole lot to say on that stuff. I agree with a lot of that stuff. Corey, let's talk about the psychological aspect. And you had some pretty good numbers here that we were talking about earlier. How do you think the 49ers respond to losing the Super Bowl? I look at this team, and if I lose my life group admin status for this rant, then, <laughs> well, shit. But I look at this team, and I see the 2019 Rams. I see a lot of brilliant head coaches. I see a lot of big-name players. I see a lot of good coming their way. But, but oftentimes, when teams lose the Super Bowl, they come in next season too hungry. And then they start losing games, and, they, and the losses don't hit them as hard. That's why, since the Super Bowl era started, there's only been eight teams ever that's gone back to the Super Bowl after losing it. And only five teams since 2000 that's actually gone back to the playoffs on top of that. So, for me, I take a look at the formulas to success in football. And I'm, I am the believer of it all starts on the trenches. You, you have to win the line of scrimmage. And my personal opinion is that the 49ers are the best in the NFL at both lines. I think the Buckner loss is huge. I, I don't think that should be underplayed whatsoever. I, I didn't love the Eric Armstead extension. I thought that money should have went to Buckner. But, you know, th they made that choice. Well, but just real quick on that. You wouldn't have been able to – George Kittle has an extension coming. You've got to pay Kittle. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I agree with that. But then why sign Armstead? I, I think Buckner signed for, what, four years, $92 million with the Colts he for that extension? We were able to sign Jimmy Ward and Armstead for less money combined. So I'm, I got it. Yeah, I mean, I understand that aspect of it. But to me, it still – feels like I would rather have DeForest Buckner than Eric Armstead and Jimmy Ward. I no no disagreements there. So for me, it still goes back to what they have. And I cannot just think about a team. I, I know without having the teams in front of me about losing a Super Bowl and then going back, I think a lot of those teams are probably in the 70s and 80s. Um, obviously, maybe the 90s with the Bills, who did it four times. Well, three times. They lost the Super Bowl four times. They didn't go back after they lost the fourth time. So, with that being said, I think you look at the teams that have sustained success, and it's not a different formula. It's a franchise quarterback it's a good offensive line it's a good defense defenses vary you're not going to see a generational defense and the 49ers were not a generational defense they weren't a once in a 15 year type of defense that would just win games um basically win every game that you play that's what those 2015 broncos 2000 ravens were and 85 bears were i will say this with them having that type of philosophy and they run the football, you're going to be consistently solid. If you run the football, you control the clock. I take a look at Jimmy Garoppolo and my assessment is this. He is in that top 12. Now, 
I'm not putting him in the top 10. I think he's in that 11 to 14 range, but I think he's between 11 and 12. Watching a lot of Jimmy Garoppolo tape, he has some mechanical issues that I think can be tweaked, but they're not dire. You get him off his spot and you make him throw deep, it becomes a problem. But I will be damned if he doesn't throw the prettiest slant pass in the NFL. I mean, his footwork is good. He gets it out quick, hits the receivers in stride, and having Debo Samuel, who I probably didn't get enough credit to. I saw a lot of Debo Samuel tape. I know. I'm telling you. (laughs) I know. And he, he has that extra burst coming out of that slant that's really impressive. Is Jimmy Garoppolo good enough to win you a Super Bowl on offense if everything breaks down? No. He's not that guy. But he is good enough to get you there. I mean, honestly, when we talk about guys good enough to get you back to a Super Bowl and win it, if everything else breaks apart, we're talking, you know, a very small list, probably Mahomes and Wilson. After that, I don't think there's anybody else on that list that's winning you a Super Bowl if everything else goes to hell in a handbasket. The coaching is, I would probably say Belichick, Carroll, and then you're probably looking at a Shanahan and maybe, man, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Um, not, a, not a whole lot of other coaches I would put there. Maybe a Sean Payton. I like Mike Tomlin. Yeah, Mike Tomlin. Yep, he's a good one. But Shanahan's in that conversation. I'm interested to see how they come back from this. So in, in my estimation, this is, you know, the cream of the crop, as the macho man would say, of the NFC West. Exactly. But there's concerns here. Ken Law's got to be good. Brandon Ayuk has to be that possession receiver that, you know, Garoppolo can trust when Kittle's double and triple teamed. Debo Samuel's got to draw some double teams to help relieve the pressure off of um, Kittle. You know, there's some things that have to go right here. But they're still too damn good. And they have too many horses in that stable of running backs to not take this division. It's going to be close. But, Corey, I see you over there contemplating it. And I just want to get your opinion because I know how you feel about Garoppolo. Where do you have Jimmy Garoppolo? In the league? Yes, let's go in the league. I don't know. I agree with 11 to 14 personally. Um, You know. Do I like him? No. I think he's – he reminds me of Alex Smith. It's a very Duncan, Duncan dip passing attack from the games that I watched. But I, I trust his brain. I, I, I think I would personally put him closer to 14 than 11, but that's probably where I would have Jimmy G as of right now because if he was over 11, then his, his coach would trust him to throw more than 30 times in three playoff games. That's not our scheme. We're a run-first offense. The scheme is run the ball down your throat, throw it when you have to. That's more a design of the scheme and not the quarterback. I mean, I I, I got to jump in on that one for a second. When you run for almost 300 yards against the Green Bay Packers because they can't stop you, why would you even think about throwing the football? I, I I mean, the Packers were so horrific at trying to stop that run game. There is no way in hell I'm doing anything but running the football. My Same philosophy- thing with the Vikings game. Same Vikings, too. We ran that ball all over Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, if something is working, I, I, I don't 
and this is my philosophy as, you know, as an ex-coach, you know, and as an ex-player, I am not stopping until you show me you can stop me. And to a man, and even the Chiefs, no one showed the 49ers that they could stop the run. The only team that stopped the 49ers from running the football in the playoffs was the 49ers. Absolutely. and I, I think that is something that you can take back in next year because you know you can run the football. You know the offensive line's coming back. You know you just acquired a Hall of Fame left tackle in Trent Williams. Garoppolo is going to have to win a game here and there, but hopefully that they can take care of business. I, I'm, I'm high on the 49ers. No, I mean – Let me give you a name to, to pay attention to. I know I said it before, but Trent Taylor, he's coming back off of injury. Everyone forgot about this dude. I think Trent Taylor, he's not going to go out and have this monster season where he has all these receptions, but I think he's going to come up in very, very big spots. He's going to have a lot of big catches. Trent Taylor, remember that. All right. So we are going to go with the 49ers record, and then there's going to be a surprise after we get through the 49ers record. So I will start off with the 49ers record. I have the 49ers finishing at 11 and 5 and winning the NFC West. Corey, go ahead. Well, I did a little bit of research and I think that I'm going to have them I'm going to give them the same fate as the 2013 Ravens directly after they won the Super Bowl, 8 and 8 and third in the division. Wow. That's uh, surprising. Henry? On the left hand side. Pass the touch on the left hand side. Corey's smoking. 49ers finished 12 and 4. I'll go a step further and give you their losses. They'll lose to the Seahawks. They'll lose to the Bills. They'll lose to the Saints. And they'll lose one game to the Cards. Here's our surprise. He's not married yet, so he can't get divorced. <laughs> My That's man. True. It's very true. I had to come on and surprise you guys. Henry, I couldn't, be out, I couldn't have you be on my show without me being here. You know, I had to make a special <laughs> appearance for you. Matt, couldn't leave you hanging. This is our last, last division preview, and I had to try to get on as best I could here. So I thought I'd give you a little something here at the end. I love it. I love it. Thank you, brother. Good to see you. I still got that steak with your name on it. Take that drive. Oh, man. You know, it's not that far from Connecticut to get there. So you might you might have to hold that for me. I might be there soon. Absolutely. I got it next to him. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably going to need that. You missed yeah. Corey's horrible steak. Corey, repeat that. What what, what, what would the man has finished, Corey? Eight and eight. Oh, Okay. <laughs> That's what Corey was doing before the show. (laughs) All right. All right. So to recap it, Randy, I will go with Henry's predictions first. He has the 49ers at 12 and four, the Seahawks at 11 and five, the Cardinals at nine and seven and the Rams at six and 10. Okay. Corey has, I had no no doubts that Henry was going to pick the Niners to win the division. I assume he said that they were going to make the Super Bowl again. So, yep. All right. I mean, he did. He, that is factual. We have that recorded. All right. So here's Corey's predictions. He has the Seahawks at 13 and three, the Cardinals at nine and seven, the, okay. C- or the 49ers at eight and eight, and the Rams at six and 10. All right. 
my predictions. I have the Rams at six and ten. I have the Cardinals at eight and eight. I have the Seahawks at eleven and five, and the 49ers at eleven and five. And I have the okay. 49ers winning the division. All right. All right. So I guess this is the part where I make my uh, predictions here because unfortunately for you, Henry, I kind of agree with Corey a little bit more so than you two. Um, only because, and, and I kind of explained this a little bit earlier, but uh, it's a bit of a Super Bowl hangover type situation. Like obviously you, you have uh, the roster and I, I think you guys are super talented and you have a great coaching staff. There's just something about what happens to a team after they lose the Super Bowl. They're never the same team the year after. Uh, part, of, part of me believes that like the Niners went from really bad to really good in just a year. And part of that was Jimmy G coming back. So I think this year they'll have like an even out year where they'll be kind of in the middle of that. Um, and I could be totally wrong about this. They could totally go back to the Super Bowl. They totally could win the division again. But for me, I don't know if it is um, Shanahan kind of blowing the game in the second half. Maybe it's Jimmy G missing that throw. Maybe the team doesn't completely buy into everything that they have going on here. That is my literally my only logical debate I have on that is that the teams that lose the Super Bowl are kind of weird the next year, and they're never totally the same team that they were the year before. I don't disagree with that. I, that's something I'm a big, big believer on. I, I definitely think there's something about the NFL that's harder to get back to the show, whether you're yeah. the winning team or the losing team. Um, I do think the Niners have the right coach. I think they have the right roster, and I think they have the right salary situation right now to be a sustainable team long term. Mm -hmm. Hopefully catching Seattle and New England as those guys that are super consistent. I would love to see it. Um, I think we have the right guys at the helm. We got one extension. Kyle Shanahan's with us for another four years, I believe. Mm -hmm. and, and we'll be locking up the GOAT tight end, George Kittle, soon. So I, I think we have the pieces to be sustainable for, you know, a nice three to four or five-year window and maybe longer if, if they hit on draft picks. I just – I like the system we have in place. I love Shanahan's schemes. Hopefully he can win one and, and let those two Super Bowls, uh, you know, the bad taste, get, get him out of his mouth and, and live that shit down already. But I, I typically agree with that, but I think we can do it. And, and I just want to say how horrible these AFC East fans are in the comments section. They're talking about the Dolphins. <laughs> Jesus Christ, horrible. Henry, they're still sore from the anal probing I gave them. Oh, goodness, you guys are the worst. <laughs> But yeah, that, that's just my, my rebuttal on that. But I, I, I understand the sentiment. I think that yeah. we have the tools in place to get over that. I mean, minus the Patriots. I mean, they seem to make it back every year regardless of what happens, right? I mean, they're like the one team that you can throw out the window. I think, as far I think, as all it's, two, I think it's two teams. I think it's the Patriots and I think Seattle. Those two teams seem to yeah. separate themselves from the rest of the league in terms of consistency. I mean, I, yeah, I always – I'm Go sorry, ahead, I got to interject here because it's easy to make it back when you know what the other teams are doing. Well, <laughs> you, you've been on that all offseason, Matt, so that doesn't surprise me that you took a pot shot at the Pats there. It's almost like a hitter knowing what pitch is coming, right? Uh, it's the New England trash cans. <laughs> 71, baby. Uh, anyway, I'll get to my, my predictions now, I guess. So uh, I think universally we all agree that the Rams are 6-10. and 10. Uh, you know, two years removed from the Super Bowl, the team has been depleted compared to what it was when they made the Super Bowl. Jared Goff, I don't think is the right guy for that. 
I don't love their offensive weapons outside of Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. Uh, I think there's a lot to be desired. Defensive, defensively, they are just a two-team roster. They have Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, and then kind of just a lot of what else. I don't know. Um, so to me, they're going to they're gonna be the last place team in this division at 6-10. and 10. Like I said, I think the Niners take a step back, but they'll still be 500. I can see them. I'm going to say 8-8 eight eight for the 49ers just based on the Super Bowl logic. If I could totally see them winning the division. I could totally see Jimmy G getting even better this year. Um, but I want to see how the defense is without um, Buckner. So um, we'll see. You know, I just have a weird feeling about the Niners. It's maybe a Super Bowl hangover type situation for them. Um, and in second place, I have the Arizona Cardinals, Corey Decker. I see that you're rocking your uh, Cardinals jersey here. I love the addition of DeAndre Hopkins. Yep. I love the offensive upside. Don't love the offensive line. I do like their pass rush. Uh, they have a, you know, a veteran secondary that I kind of like too. And I love Isaiah Simmons. He's going to make plays for that defense all over the field. Uh, so I say nine and seven for the Cardinals, just one game better than your 49ers. And then the cream of the crop for me is the Seattle Seahawks. They have the second best quarterback in the NFL, and that matters at the end of the day. Um, not the greatest roster ever, but Russell Wilson masks a lot of their issues. Pete Carroll, they've been around for a long time. They know what they're doing here. I heard you briefly, Henry, say that they are the bane of your existence when it comes to football. That's just because they are good at what they do. Uh, yeah. I love the Jamal Adams uh, acquisition. Um, you know, they're just one of those teams that are going to be there every single year. So I think 12-4 and four for Seattle, and they're going to win the NFC West. I'm gonna buy. I'm gonna go to Costco or BJ's and get the industrial size crow for you, fucks. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying. I, I, I came around. So another, I'm gonna have another video to splice at the end of the next season. <laughs> well, I'll be on it, but I'll be on the right side of it. So. Uh, <laughs> I, I I do think that there's you know, a chance for what you're saying and that they will be an elite football team and they will come back. But like I said, it's literally just I can't get over the, the Super Bowl appearance and the way they lost the game and they had a 10-point lead and the bad play calls and the misthrow miss to Emmanuel Sanders. Like, there's a lot of things that just follow a team like that and you make those mistakes in the playoffs. Um, the Saints have so many mistakes that they make in the playoffs that they can't seem to get over that hump. Uh, I think of, you know, the Falcons never really made it back. They, um, the, the, the Panthers never made it back. There's just teams that you see that make it there. And the Rams are never the same team after they that went there. On and on. I think the Rams just fell the hardest of anyone I can remember. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe the 49ers are more like the Seahawks in this aspect, but I guess I'll have to wait and see about that. All right. All right, guys. You know, I want to – Go ahead, Corey. Well, I just want to say one thing about the Niners that similar to Randy, you know, I – said the same statistics about Super Bowl hangovers. But I do think it's impressive that they took literally anybody in that run scheme and made it perfect. So I think that that's something to watch this year. Okay. So, I mean, the records are out there. Randy, you missed a key question on the show. So I have to ask you, everyone I think answered it. How likely is it that the Dallas Cowboys – are the first team in the NFL to forfeit games because of a COVID outbreak. Oh, man. Is it strictly just Dallas? I don't know if they're the one. Like, is Jerry Jones going to stoop to that level, or he just try to find, like, XFL players that are out there willing to play to field the team at this point? I think he's got too much pride for that. I mean, you know, that's actually a good point. I mean, yeah. how low is Jerry Jones willing to go? I mean, does he want to risk embarrassment on the field? Or does he just want to risk embarrassment by forfeiting a game? I, I didn't think about that angle. I'm going to have to think about that. 
Look, Jets he's a loser. I mean, wait, they haven't wait. won a Super Bowl in 25 years, so he's a loser. Don't get me wrong, but he's not a quitter. He's a loser, but he's not a quitter. Yes and no. <laughs> Does Jerry Jones wear a mask? No. Has he no. worn a mask? No, I don't think he will. I don't think so either. No. And if he does, it'll look something like this. <laughs> like uh, that's, 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 that's the Arkansas. The Razorback. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, as you haven't, you weren't here for the opener, Randy. I just want to thank Corey and Henry for joining us on this episode. Randy, please close us out. I will give you the honor. Hey, I appreciate it. I'm glad I got to come on here and talk a little bit with you guys at the end. I apologize for not being a part of the show fully. Thank you three for holding it down for me while I was gone. Uh, I had no doubts that it was a great show. I can't wait to watch the rest of it uh, later this week uh, as I am in a coastal town uh, in Connecticut. So, uh, Henry, I hope you enjoy your vacation with your family. I'm going to enjoy my vacation with my family this week. Um, but on behalf of Corey Decker, Henry Maldonado Jr., Matt Bushnell, you've been watching the Audible and Football Life. Go check us out on all of our audio platforms as well, on Spotify, on Apple, on Anchor. And if you're not watching this on YouTube or on Facebook Live, we have all the platforms you can think of out there. Be sure to support. Thank you so much for supporting. We greatly appreciate it. So uh, thank you for allowing me to come on here for a few minutes at the end. I've had a blast. Guys, I hope you do uh, stay healthy, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you, guys.